Hi, CB. My name is Alexa Riley, and welcome to the first episode of my new podcast, Alexa with Two X's. So today we're going to focus on psychology, specifically calling out toxic behavior and how CB kids might live up to Freudian theories. So I have with me Mr. Vincent Leporini. Hello. Hi. Big fan of the podcast. Glad Thank to be you. Here. Thank you. I, it's very popular. I've so I've heard. Yeah. So I've heard. Yeah. Viral. It's viral. It definitely is. Okay. So do you have any like personal hot takes or get, you know, to get it started off? Because, you know, Mr. Anderson, when he starts his classes, he likes to go over hot takes. So do you have any hot takes about psychology or toxic toxicity in, in general? Uh, I don't know about hot takes. I mean, I'm more of a mild salsa kind of guy. But uh, in terms of toxicity, I think a lot of that is in the eye of the beholder. So I'm curious to see kind of in this conversation um, how we define friendship and how we define toxicity. Because it has, in a sense, kind of become a catch-all for anything that you do, anyone someone else does that you don't agree with. But I think there's some real issues of manipulation and some psychological um, mechanisms going on there. So I'm looking forward to get started. You know, I think you're right about that. So could you like define psychology like in its purpose and like maybe its beginnings? Sure. Uh, and just to clarify for all the listeners out there, I'm not a psychologist, a licensed psychologist in any way. I teach a course in psychology and I've uh, you know kind of made it a big part of my uh, adult study of um, kind of understanding the human spirit. Uh, psychology as basis is just uh, internal processes, so all the internal thoughts in our head, the biological reactions, and then external behavior, observable behavior, and how that interplays with other people's external behavior. And, um, you know, psychology is nothing more than what most of us do in class, uh, you know, listening to our teachers or interacting with our friends of trying to figure out what's going on internally, and is that in congruence or is that in contrast to what's going on externally? That's really interesting. So I know like a lot of people right now are focused on like self-reflection and stuff like that. But then like when they go into a period of self-reflection, they still like, I guess, produce the same behaviors externally. Is that like, have you read about like a reason for that? Well, uh, I mean, if you look at Sigmund Freud had a lot of theories that are wildly disproven, but one of his um, big takeaways is it's very difficult to do self-analysis. And so, yes, in reflection is good, uh, identifying parts of yourself you'd like to improve, uh, analyzing the world in which you live, but uh, using your own mind to analyze your mind obviously has some inherent bias, especially if you have created some um, necessary or required defense mechanisms that precludes you from having um, some open conversations with yourself. Um, and uh, that's basically the origin of modern therapy or modern uh, psychoanalysis. Yeah, and I, li I like how we shifted our focus to, th to Freud because I've been learning stuff, um, things about him as well. And I just, I think it's really interesting how he like analyzed himself because I, I've been thinking like, you know, what, what would really like happen if you decided to like analyze yourself as well as other people? Um, well, I mean, it's definitely possible. It's not, uh, um, but all of us have friends, family members, some other uh, party that can sometimes offer some insight. Um, it could be as simple as like, hey, you seem really upset today, or are you angry? And you didn't really realize that the way you were behaving was kind of counter to your normal uh, thing because you think you're, you're holding it all inside, but it's coming out in some way. Um, Freud was able to do a lot of self-analysis and uh, develop a lot of his theories by analyzing his own world. But even he was, 
uh, not immune from having huge contradictions in our life. The term is cognitive dissonance, where when we have these two contrasting th theories in our life or these two contrasting ideas or behaviors, uh, our brain doesn't like that. So we have to either massage one, change one, repress one. And so that's where it can be difficult to do that for yourself long term. Often you can uh, have a conversation with someone else or, or you know, work with someone else and then do the reflection afterwards. But sometimes you need some of those um, alternative perspectives to help you out. How do you think that those perspectives could like alter the course of someone's life? Oh, we are hugely influenced by others' opinions. <clears throat> that could be specific individuals in your life or just this uh, kind of ambiguous societal expectations when we talk about body image or perception of others. If you ask most students how they feel they are uh, valued in the CB community, they'll probably give an answer that is talking about some community that maybe has never actually addressed them. Um, that's something called, um, I think uh, one of the theories, Cooley, I think was his name, was like looking glass self, is that we have this whole internal monologue looking, at that time was a looking glass but a mirror, of uh, we have this internal monologue of what people will say about us, whether that could be what we're wearing that day to a spirit day, or how our presentation is going when we're giving it in class, or uh, how we interacted at lunch, without ever actually having that real conversation. Partly because that would be kind of awkward in most situations, right? To sit down with someone saying, hey, I just told a joke, did it go well, what did you think? But also partly because it's kind of, uh, we're constantly wanting affirmation, whether that's maybe because we're like mammals after all and we want you know, social hurting. Um, but I think it, it is, can be very dangerous if the air, the, the, the words we're hearing from others, that third party that we're, we kind of need to do self-reflection is either wildly inaccurate or purposefully manipulative. And that's, I think, what kind of what you're getting to is we rely on these friends, these intimate relationships, family members, maybe dating relationships to give us that feedback we crave that we need. And we have to put a lot of trust that those are going to give not only authentic response, but responses that have our best interest at heart. Yeah, do you think that those like internal monologues that people have, do you think they could be instead of like inherently destructive, like inherently supportive, so that all, all that they're thinking is like, oh, these people love me, they cherish me, and do you think that feeds into narcissism? So yeah, any any uh, of our greatest strengths have that sharp edge, right? Someone that's highly empathetic, that is has a real servant's heart can become a doormat, right? Someone that is very confident, that believes in themselves, and there's a whole, uh, offshoot of psychology about cognition and the way we think is really what drives how most of our experiences in the world. So if you believe in yourself, that's a good thing. If you believe um, that that conversation went well, if you believe that you are likable, that is really important because that does have huge impact on actual likability, on actual interactions. But all good things have a sharp edge, right? If you are so confident in yourself that you you know, uh, filter out any negative feedback, whether that's a teacher to kind of give you advice on an essay or your friend not laughing or kind of saying, you know, like not, not realizing that maybe they wanted to share something, then that can create narcissistic tendencies. I think we live in a, a culture that um, seems to embrace narcissistic tendencies in the way that we have to publicize ourselves on our own little PR social media firms. Yeah. And so uh, even in the in the interest of like humbleness or not being narcissistic, that in, creates its own kind of narcissism. Yeah, and like its own arrogance. Right, well you're seeing this even with like, we are embracing mental health in very new and powerful ways, but that also creates its own narcissism of mm -hmm. sharing as a way to showcase uh, like kind of a look at me mindset. Yeah, 
Uh, how do you think social media has affected people's like I think not only just like their confidence but their ability to possibly like manipulate others uh, well th the first part of your question I think uh, as I mentioned with that kind of theory of doing this internal processing about how yeah. others think we have well, you have in your generation quantifiable data. You have the likes, you have the responses codified there. Um, whereas in any other time, you might get some verbal affirmation or not, or body language, but you kind of, in a sense, were a little more protected from sharing a picture, right? And so now you get like real feedback in real time, and that has uh, maybe a tendency to be more toxic. Mm. Um, what was the second question? Part of the question? Oh, it, it was how does like how can social media feed into emotional manipulation? Um, I think it is a megaphone to conversations that used to be more private. So going, uh, it, it is almost like an audience feels like or is actually watching something that should be a very private, personal event. Um, it is remarkable here at CB that we have something like Kairos that is still pretty private because that seems like such an outlier to any other sphere of your world where even asking someone to a dance is this huge theatrical, yeah. almost- Yeah, there's an Instagram account now. Yeah, pseudo, like uh, asking someone to marry you event. Uh, and that is true, not just of your generation, but we have like baby reveal parties, everything has to be a broadcast event. And that uh, does not lend itself to the intimacy required for self-reflection and honest feedback from someone. It can not always on purpose skew to manipulation. Yeah. Right? So do you think that there are certain like qualities like without I think without going to the extreme of arrogance, do you think that confidence in its purest form can like protect us from emotional manipulation? Yes. Uh, I think you're looking at these two outlying extremes and again social media and the world in which you live loves the extremes. But uh, confidence in yourself is the root of defending yourself from individuals, from standing up to uh, behavior that's unacceptable or unhealthy in your life, to breaking cycles of, of repetitive manipulation or emotional abuse. Um, that can come from within, that can come from a support of others. Social media can be positive in making you feel like you're not alone. Um, so yes, I, th I think it's, confidence is not always arrogance. It's a, the best kind of confidence is a, almost like a, an anchor or a rudder or something that centers you. And that when things get a little crazy, there's something to draw back to, right? So you regress into yourself to find yourself again, that who you are. And I think that's when reflection can be incredibly healthy. If you know who you are and the world gets crazy or you have uh, meet new people or there's a lot of change in your life, like we just went through societal change for the last three years while you guys are going through the probably the most changeable time in your life, uh, late adolescence into early adulthood, yeah. that uh, without having that home, it can you can feel very lost. And so I think most teachers here, the whole point of LaSalle in education is to help you find your home so that when you feel a little lost, you can go back to that. Yeah, I think that's really important because I've, I felt really, um, I think just during COVID in general and then coming in after, I felt really supportive by ev like everyone in the CB community because we were like, hey, we're all going through this together. And we all kind of came together as a community to like, mm -hmm. I wouldn't really say fix everything, but make things a little bit better for the students, the faculty, the parents as well. Yeah, I mean, it's an impossible situation, and especially, it may, I mean, speaking for myself, realize that for many students, school is their centering space. Yeah. It's where we spend the most time. You guys are seeing the benefits of rallies and sports programs, and so when you take that away, that can be kind of jarring. Just yeah. like um, those of us that play sports, and then we age out of sports, right? And you're like, what, like an aging athlete that retires at 
27, what do you do with your life? Um, when you stop an activity, when you move, those can be very jarring. And we were forced to lose something that for many students, whether we like to admit it or not, school is a very structurally safe home. Okay, so I'd like to shift our focus um, more towards Freudian psychology and Freudian theories. Um, rationalization. Okay. I, I really wanted to focus on that because as I was learning about it, I was like, hey, I've seen those behaviors in my life. So I want to ask you, when do you think rationalization becomes appropriate, appropriate if it ever is? Well, that's an interesting question. Yeah, uh, I would say Freud's defense mechanisms, which rationalization being one of them, is probably like his uh, most effective legacy. Uh, a lot of his theories, as I mentioned, have not stood the test of time, but the way that we deal with um, our base desires, right, these innate desires we have, and these societal norms or expectations, that tension within our, within our body, within our daily interactions, um, that creates these like defenses for that, I think are still true. And rationalization is one um, that can be societal or individual. I, to define it briefly, like uh, I mentioned that cognitive dissonance of um, trying to convince yourself or give a justification to yourself and then of others of behavior that you might not normally think is appropriate. Mm. And um, there are ways that I think that that can be a positive. It's almost always said in a negative way, right? You're rationalizing, I worked hard all week, I studied so hard, I deserve to go to that party and maybe do some of those things that you might regret the next day. Um, at the same time, um, rationalization sometimes can protect if there's things that you cannot control, right? If you're in family dynamics or uh, school situations that you cannot control, you can rationalize some things, right? That it depends when you're in psychology, they talk about locus of control. If you have a strong internal locus of control, if you feel like you can make decisions, you have autonomy, you are kind of like the captain of your ship, then rationalization is usually pretty unhealthy because mm -hmm. you're rationalizing against your own behavior. But if there's others that you cannot control, uh, it can be a very, uh, necessary, if not healthy, uh, defense mechanism for explaining parental behavior, teachers' daily life, where you feel, you know, at your age, you have all this uh, desire for autonomy, but you're kind of stuck in a lot of social control. Yeah. And so, um, it, it's, I don't I think it's ever really like a super healthy thing, um, but I think it can maybe protect you in a way until you. Uh, can maybe make some of your own decisions. Yeah, I think that's really important here because I know a lot of people who are maybe like struggling with um, just school or like parental like behaviors at home and they're thinking like, oh, it's all my fault and stuff like that. So I think like maybe rationalization could help them. Oh, interesting. I, I mean, I think a lot of it is, is rooted in insight. If you know yeah. what you're doing, like if you're in a situation you cannot control, and you know this is what I'm going to use to work through that situation. That's very different than not understanding why you're doing that behavior, right? To rationalize poor behavior in a dating relationship is very bad. Yeah. And that's never a good idea, and that's something you can control. You can leave that person, you can disassociate, you can move on, right? Um, and a lot of it has to understanding, right? Like if you, you know, and that's where I think the reflection you guys maybe went through with the pandemic, or I'm seeing more generally um, in, especially upperclassmen, is really helpful because you say like I know when I get stressed I do these things yeah and so you if you know that you can say like well this was a bad choice this time it could be something as simple as you know getting a, a frappuccino at Starbucks <laughs> but if you understand like I just know I'm very stressed right now I'm, I'm gonna now work tomorrow to like work on some of those more positive paths as opposed to just feeling kind of lost like a jellyfish in the world yeah have you okay have you personally ever dealt with a student who's like attempted to rationalize poor behavior 
Oh, I think <laughs> we all do on the on the daily. I think, uh, I mean, it's a student that says, you know, this is busy work, therefore I will not use my full integrity, or college is a sham, therefore we're all just getting grades, and not it doesn't really matter about learning, and all the ways that we justify as teachers, we rationalize too, right? They're not really listening, so what does it matter if I'm as prepared as I could be, mm. right? They're not going to look at my comments, so that's why I don't make comments, whereas it could be all sorts of things where it's a, basically a way to get away with behavior that um, maybe it's just sometimes hard, Yeah. right? Uh, is, uh, rationalization is not always to uh, explain away something evil. It could just be something hard, right? Like as a teacher, it's hard to give your full self to students that seem like they don't care, right? But that is a, a defense, right? It's a way to like close off connecting with students because I assume that you punk kids don't want to learn anyways. You see how that's a very rational behavior, so therefore I'll just give them a, a handout because that's all they really want to do anyways. That's not healthy, right? Um, Yes, yeah, students, when pushed against the wall in high stress, which especially seniors right now applying to college are very stressed, um, those defenses come up because of fear, because we're scared of failing for the most part. Yeah. Do you, okay, I want to talk about projection next. Okay. So, how do you believe projection relates to the idea of gaslighting? Yeah, I know we had that in our oh. WEAVE presentation today. <laughs> gaslighting, we have to talk about it. Oh, well, I missed that. I was with my little freshman nesters. But uh, yeah, gaslighting has become one of those catchphrases that um, just represents something that has always been around in terms of manipulation, right? Uh, Freud believed that projection is the idea that any criticism you have towards others, he took it to the extreme, is really uh, a criticism that your psyche has on your own self but doesn't want to deal with it, so we lash out. And some of them are pretty uh, clear to see, right? A, a disorganized parent or teacher might lash out at you for being tardy uh, because they really feel like uh, their own life is maybe not as orderly as they want. Um, and gaslighting has has become this uh, this phrase that represents this to the extreme in usually emotionally hostile situations where someone that is doing something poor in a behavior, right? Whether that's not being faithful or whether that's um, being uh, aggressive or whether that's trying to change someone for the worse, then uh, when presented with that from the other person, immediately lashes out and calls that person the very thing that they're addressing. Um, it's highly effective, uh, especially because usually the person that uh, is bringing that, that conversation to the table is a, a little nervous, they're being open, they're being intimate, and for some, someone to say, to turn the table and, on that person, um, most of us have if we reflect, have some of those same ideas. And so it's it's tugging on a small thing when you brought up a big thing. So if you bring up, um, you know, you, you're really uh, trying to control me to someone in a relationship, and they say, no, you're the one that's controlling. You see how, and then they think in their head, well, all relationships is a little bit about control or like trying to work together. And so you can see how it plays off someone's authenticity. And that's where it's really troubling. Yeah, it, it seems like a lot of these theories stem from like one's own insecurities and things like that. So yeah. how can like, how do you think that we can, I guess, lessen those insecurities? Well, uh, ideally, as I said, insight and um, usually it's taking a moment or a pause. If somebody brings something to your attention, Right? I think uh, our natural reaction is to be very defensive, right? And so uh, maybe taking some introspection and time to really think about it. And it could be you come back and say, I really considered this, I really thought about that. Maybe you've talked to someone else. Is this something that you see in me also? And I'd like to work on that because if they are your friend, talk about talks to friends, they want you to do better. They want you to be more healthy. And it's not just something that you're doing that you could, you need to improve because you're inferior. 
So if someone says, like, I really care about you, I really appreciate you, there are some times when you can be a little hard-headed on topics that you disagree with. And if you say, no, I'm not hard-headed, you're hard-headed, right? Like, I wouldn't be so that, like that if you, were, uh, if you weren't that way also. That's not really helpful, right? Yeah. And that can just lead to a lot of insecurity, as you say, right? Projecting is the basis of insecurity. It's the teacher that criticizes students when really they maybe need to look at themselves, right? In psychology, we talk about turning a chair, right? If you're not turning your chair towards that person, you don't really want them to succeed. So that's where it becomes uh, really unhealthy. So I think the way to address it is to really take a pause and do some introspection and come back. And if that person, if you come back and you say, you know, you're right. Uh, there are times when I get a little, uh, a little insecure about how much I know, and so I become very stubborn on something. Or there's times when uh, maybe I, for my family of origin, I've learned that, and that's not necessarily something I want to do with you. And if that leads to a more positive relationship, wonderful. You've done your part. If you do all that, and you're open and authentic, and you take their advice, and then they still double down, and say that's never enough and they want more and more or they just come up with something else to criticize about you, that's not a good friend yeah. or a good romantic partner, right? So that's where it's gaslighting and that's where it's manipulation. If it leads to positive outcome and growth together, great. If not, that's someone maybe you should distance yourself from. So do you believe that like an understanding of introspection as well as projection and rationalization can potentially save students from abuse like in their family life and in romantic relationships? Yeah, I believe strongly in the, the, the theories of psychology don't necessarily fix problems. They help you to better understand the world in which you live. And in understanding, that gives you that confidence. That gives you that strength, right? If you understand yourself and you understand the basic ways that humans tend to interact, you can say, no, no, this is why that person is doing that. And maybe that's their insecurity. And that can give you more empathy for them. Or you can say, this is why they're doing that. That's their insecurity. Until they figure out their life, I want to surround myself with people that are a little more mature. Because otherwise, you're responding to what they're saying, not to the intent or meaning behind it. Yeah. Right. And I think, uh, you know, if to tell someone immature and that they're defensive and insecure is probably never going to work. That's something they have to realize on their own, right? But you can say your piece. And that's a hard thing because you're talking about friendships. All friendships require uh, a risk, right? The goal is to be authentic with the risk that you take in a way that doesn't endanger you and you do a small risk like I'm describing, and if that leads to a better growth and intimacy, awesome. If that risk leads to a little bit of hurt, because it does hurt when someone then hurts you again after you've been authentic, then that's someone you need to distance yourself uh, from, no matter how easy on the eyes they may look. <laughs> that, was, that was really funny. Oh, good, thank you. You're a comedian. You should do stand-up comedy. Uh, I, I can't. I have all these podcasts. I have no time. Oh, sorry. Yeah. The famous podcast. Yes. <laughs> Th thank you for coming on my podcast. It was my first episode. Yeah. Well, um, I, mean, I enjoyed it. I would uh, love to come on any other time with other topics. It was a great conversation. Thank you so much. We're going to cut that part out. Mm -hmm. Or maybe we won't because I, I don't know if I know how well, to. Well, let's just be authentic. Yeah. Yeah. Let's be real, guys. Yeah. Uh, th <laughs> thank you for coming to my podcast. Tune in for my next episode with Geneva Tovar, CB Horror Stories. Thank you, guys. Oh.